Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Amen, amen. Good to see you this morning. I hope you're glad to be in the house of the Lord to learn a little something today as we uh, come together, the fellowship around praise and worship, but also around His Word. Amen. We come to hear a word from the Lord, and uh, I pray that uh, we'll have a word for you this morning that will encourage you and lift you up, but also one that will help you along your journey of discipleship as a follower of Christ. And so we've been looking at this theme for the past few weeks together that we've called Together, and we've been hopefully encouraging you to understand that uh, it's important that we as a group of Jesus followers, a group of believers, that we make it a priority to understand that we need each other and that we are, as a congregation of people, to come together. And we, we talked about how together we find peace. We talked about how in that, that it's through the Lord Jesus Christ by which not only did he bring us peace with God, but he also brought peace between us as individuals that without Jesus, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be a church. We wouldn't be together. We wouldn't be experiencing the peace of one another. And then we talked about how together we experience love. And we talked about you know, how that love is the bond of unity. And we talked about how we all in this world desire to be loved by someone. And through Christ... God loves us, but we in turn turn and love one another. And then we talked last time together, last week, about together we grow stronger. You know, it's when we're together that we encourage one another, that we lift one another up, and we learn from one another in order that we grow stronger in our faith. I don't know about you, when I miss church, I feel like I miss something big. I feel like there's something just missing in my life that week. And so it's important and, and natural for Christians to want to be together because it's when we're together that we grow in fellowship with the Lord. And as we sort of press on, I hope that you've learned this truth. I wrote it down so I could just read it. I hope that you learned that going to church is much more than just a religious activity. You know, going to church is what a lot of people just do because that's a religious thing. And so they get up and they put their clothes on and, and they go to a service and they're not impacted. They're not changed because it's just like going to work and punching the time clock, waiting for 4.30, punching the time clock and going home. It is not a religious activity. No, coming to church is your opportunity to connect with other Jesus followers. And it's your opportunity to experience that peace and that love and that joy that being together can produce. Amen. I hope that you understand that because, listen, God has designed you and I to live in community with one another. You know, we see that all over the place. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know, when you begin to think about God creating the heavens and the earth, as God is creating, we get down to that wonderful verse of Scripture where he begins to create mankind. And he says, let us make man in our own image. Do you realize that the triune God is in community together? And then when God created man, do you remember what he said? Everything was good. And then God said this, it's not good that man be alone. Amen. And what did God do? 
<laughs> He's looking for a wife, y'all. <clears throat> Actually, he found her, I think. Amen. <laughs> if you're visiting with us, just know that's David Stout. Okay, that's who that is. <laughs> now I lost my train of thought. So God is, in his wisdom, created us for community. I really did, and I was just teasing you. So what does he do? Man's, man should not be alone. It's not good that man be alone. He created a woman. He created this relationship of husband and wife. Why? Because God has designed us, even from the beginning, to be in community with each other. And so he began with a family unit. And outside that family unit, then God begins to build community. You can remember, right, <clears throat> that God, when he gave the, the order and the command that they be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, that it was all right for them to have community, but they have to have community around what God says and around the word of God. And so God did something at the Tarot of Babel. What did God do? He, he divided community, but at the same time, he made community. When you think about the division was they came because they wanted to make a name for themselves. And God said, that's not what community is about. Community is about coming together and making, a, making much about me and about my name. And so God had to, in the Tarot of Babel, confuse their language and he separated them out. And what God did there is God made communities. You know, people that could speak the same language sort of huddled up together and, and they went out and they spread and they make themselves a, a unit, a community. And from there, we see the beauty of God in creating the nation of Israel, community once again. And then out of that, we see that God sending forth his son into the world in order that he would create this new community. We call it the church. Amen. And so you and I, we come together. We need to live together because God has designed us to be together with other followers of Jesus. And why did he put us in community with one another? Because he wants us together to make a difference in this world. Could you agree with me this morning that this world needs a change? We need to make an impact. You know, the church, here's the reality. There are some churches who are living in the past. That is, there's some churches that believe that we're still fighting a cultural war with everybody in our culture. Uh, what we're doing is we're spending all of our energy and all of our efforts combating all the moral vices in the world and all the sins we want to police. But the reality is, ladies and gentlemen, listen to me loud and clear, okay? You need to understand this. This is statistically proven. We as a church, not just level planes, but all of us as churches collectively, have lost the cultural war. In other words, what I mean by that is, it used to be that people would go to church out of pure respect to go to church. Or they would go to church because that was the community thing to do. Listen, it's no longer acceptable in society to belong to a church. That's no longer the hip thing. That's no longer the thing that when you go for a job interview, they could care less whether you go to church or not. When you go get a loan at the bank, they could care less whether you go to church or not. That has changed. Our culture has shifted and we have lost the culture war. And if we continue to live as if we want to try to keep the culture war going, we are going to die as a church. Okay, just listen to me. We're going to die as a church because no longer are we to engage that way. And listen, the church should have never had anyway. Jesus never engaged his culture the way that we've engaged our culture. Jesus and Paul never did the same thing. Paul lived in the in a society that was far worse than what our society is in Rome. And yet, he never engaged the culture. You know what they did? They preached the gospel. They preached the gospel. 
And that's where the church has lost it. That's why we lost the cultural war. It's because we didn't preach the gospel. We tried to police lost people in sin, and you can't do that. What we should have been doing is preaching the gospel because let me tell you who can change the world. Let me tell you who can change the culture. The Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of God is the power unto salvation for all who believe. Amen. And when a man or a woman comes to faith in Christ, it changes them. It changes their family. It changes their work environment. Listen, it makes a profound impact on the world around them. And you and I must take this responsibility that we ought to be changers of the world. Don't you just love when you read the book of Acts? And in Acts 17, it says that those who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Listen, I don't know about you, but I want to make an impact in the world. I want to make a mark in the world, not for me, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. And every time we baptize somebody, I say, Lord, we're winning. We're winning. Amen. Thank God we're winning. But the God of this world, he's fierce. He's fierce. He doesn't like to lose. As a matter of fact, he already knows at the end, Seth, he's already lost. And so he's raging a war. It's a war we can't see, but it's a war. And you and I are in the thick of the battle. And because we're in the thick of the battle, and because the, the listen, because this change is so necessary, and our, and our culture needs us to engage it with truth of the gospel, listen, it takes all of us to do that. I can't do it, I can't do it alone. You can't do it alone. Sure, some would argue and say, well, you know, I can go to an individual and I can share Christ with them. And if they get saved, I can take an individual and I can disciple them. And that's, that's true. I'm not trying to downplay what we as individuals can do. But, but here's the reality of it. The reality of it is I will never engage in the gospel. I will never engage in discipling other people if I don't first gather with the body of believers who, number one, encourage me to do that. Amen? This is where I get courage. I come to church on Sunday and I hear a message or I go to Sunday school or I get around my brothers and sisters and they tell their story and they talk about how they got saved. They talk about how they're talking to other people about being saved. And what that does, it gives me encouragement. Number two, not only do I need the encouragement that I get when I gather together in order to share the gospel and to disciple others, but listen, I also come and get equipped. That is where I come. And you remember a few months back when we began to talk about those cards in the back, I went through a whole series of how do you share the gospel? How do you get into a gospel conversation? How do you get out of a gospel conversation? Part of that is what we call discipleship. That is what I'm doing is equipping you for the work of service. How is it that I'm going to share the gospel and disciple somebody if I I don't know how to do that. So guess what? We come together as a collective whole, a collective body, and we learn to do that together. So we encourage one another and we equip one another. Amen? And then here's what we do thirdly. Listen, we send one another. Amen? The church has always been, you go back and read the book of Acts. The church has always been the sending agent. Has always been a sending agent. Listen, Jesus in Acts 1.8 said, You're going to be my witnesses. Jesus said, I'm going to send you out. Then every time we see from there on, it's the church commissioning. It's the church sending out. And what is the church's responsibility? It is to engage the culture with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have to do that collectively and as a whole. We cannot do that alone. Amen? And so we need each other. We need each other. And so... 
This morning as we sort of gather and we think about this idea that together we change the world, it really begins with the change that Jesus wrought in our own lives. It really begins there because out of that, out of what Jesus has done in your heart to change you and to pull you out of this culture into his relationship, into his family, into his church, as he has brought you in through Christ, there's where it begins. And so I want you to take your Bibles and begin to look at Ephesians chapter 2. We all can quote, and we all know Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace we've been saved through faith. This not of yourselves, what it's a gift of God. Not of works. Why? Because if it's of works, then I can boast. <laughs> he said, not of works, lest any man should boast. Salvation is something that God has brought to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not a work of me. It's not a work of you. It's the work of Christ. And God in his grace has given you the faith to believe and to trust in him and to come to him in order that you can be saved, that you can be baptized into this relationship, not baptized by water, but baptized by the spirit into relationship with Jesus Christ and made part of the church fellowship. And Jesus has done that. And Paul reminds us that it is by grace through faith. It's not anything that you and I do. It's not that we conjure up. It's not that we decide one day when we wake up, I think I'm going to be saved today. The sky is blue and it's, the sun is shining and it's a pleasant day. Want to be a good day to be saved. Amen. Well, the Bible says any day is a good day to be saved. Amen. But the reality is it's not of us. It's of God. God seeks the lost. Jesus said, I've come to seek and to save the lost. So you don't, you don't understand. You weren't looking for him, but he found you. <laughs> Isn't that incredible that he would do that for us? But here's the reality. Paul is talking to the church at Ephesus, and, and he's using plural verbs all throughout verse 8 and 9. He's reminding the whole church. He's not reminding one person. The whole letter is being read to the whole congregation. I mean, it's like somebody standing up, the preacher standing up there, and he's reading the letter to the congregation. And he's using those plural pronouns and plural verbs, and he's, he's reminding the congregation, you all, you all have been saved by Christ. You all have been redeemed. You all have been brought into the family of God. And then he says in verse 10 these words. Listen to what he says. For we... Collectively, are his workmanship. I love the word workmanship. Here's what that means in archaic Greek. That word was being used to refer to a poem or some kind of written art that was done. And so what he's saying here is that you and I, we're God's workmanship. We're, we're God's piece of art. We're a poem that God has written. Isn't that awesome? Think about that. He said, we are... His workmanship. Notice what he said. You're this poem. He's, he's written in your life. And, and listen, how is he, what does he do? He says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. God's written a poem and the pen that he used was his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that incredible? That God in your life and in my life would even do anything is a miracle. But here he's not only saved me, but now listen, in this relationship of being saved, he has done something in me to make me a piece of art that he wants to put on display and use because I've been created in Christ Jesus. He is, through Jesus Christ, death, burial, and resurrection. He has made me something that he can use. Amen. Wow. 
I can remember when I was a junior in high school, I had Mr. Smith. And Mr. Smith uh, and I, we just didn't jihaw. You can see that, right? I get along with everybody. But Mr. Smith and I didn't jihaw. And here's the problem. I had a brother that eight years prior had Mr. Smith. And and my brother palvorized him one day. He just beat him up. Um, There was just some conflict. My brothers were like just mean guys. I mean, they, you know, I love them, but anyway, they, he hit, he hit the teacher. And so when I showed up at class and he did roll the very first day, he called my name and he looked up and here's the exact words he said to me, how many of them are you? <laughs> there were six of us boys that grew up together. My mom, bless her heart, I don't know how she survived it, but she raised six boys. And anyway, so from day one, we didn't get along. Marina would say that if Marina was here today, she'd say, hey, wait a minute, I want to testify. That was Mike's problem. Well, part of it was Mike's problem. Part of it was his problem or whatever. But I'll never forget the day he told me, about halfway through the, through the semester, the first semester, I'll never forget what he told me. He said, if you don't change what you're doing now, you're never going to amount to anything. And you know what? He probably was right. I was probably heading in a course that I wouldn't have amounted to much. I I didn't really care anyway. I didn't care about, you know, I just wanted to graduate high school, get, a, get my degree so I can go in the Air Force. That was my plan. That's what I was going to do all along. I didn't really care, you know, what he thought. But, you know, can I just tell you that, that sometimes you buy into those lies and you feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm not useful. I'm not created for anything. Can I just tell you that's a lie of the devil. In Christ, in, in God, through Jesus, he has made you a masterpiece. And he has done that through the work of your Savior, Jesus Christ. It's nothing you've done. It's all that he's done for you. But can I just tell you, he's done that, not to put you on display, that you would sit sit on the pew or that you would stand before people and go, oh, look at me, God God made me special. No, what he's done for is what the phrase says next. He says, for you and I, listen, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? Here it is, you ready? To work to work. Good works. Good works. See, the question becomes, has God created us as a church just to gather in on Sundays and Wednesdays to gather in and never to go out? No, he hasn't. He has called us to gather in and we need this time. And we talked about in the first three sermons, it was all about us time. It's all about us coming together and how we together will find that peace, how together we have that love, how together we can grow stronger. But it's all for the purpose of this one verse that you and I being created in Christ Jesus would go out and do good works. And these good works that that Paul is talking about. Notice what he says in that text. He says, he created in Christ Jesus for good works, what? That he has prepared. That God has prepared, what? In advance. In advance of what? In advance of you being saved. Think about it. God saving you already had a plan for your life. It's kind of interesting. I've told the story a million times. So I'll tell it again briefly for those who are visiting with us today. When I was 10... And I was going to a neighbor's house for a Sunday school. I didn't go to church. My family didn't go to church. When I was 10, I told my parents I needed a Bible. And I felt like God was calling me to be a Catholic priest. That's, that's reality. And then I hit 16. I was like, that, that priest thing ain't for me. I like girls. <laughs> <laughs> and I drifted away from church, but God didn't let me drift too far. And I met a, a girl who was a Baptist 
who believed in Jesus and who began to pray for me every day, began to invite me to church, and I'd tell her, stop asking me. I'm not going to your church. I don't want to be a part of church. And she kept praying, and she kept praying. You know? And then we started dating. She should have never dated me. But then when we started dating, her mom said, if you're, if you're going to date my daughter, you've got to go to church. Well, I liked her daughter, so I went to church. And let me tell you what, it's like the old saying is, you can't stand by the, the creek bank for very long before you fall in. And by the grace of God, he called me to faith in him, and he saved me. And shortly after that, before I entered into the Air Force, God began to put this call back on my heart. See, at 10, I believe God was calling me. He had a work, David, for me to do. He was preparing my heart, even as 10, even when I didn't know him. God has done that for you too. That's not unique to me. That's every believer in this room. God has a work for you. Amen? He does. Because he has created us. Listen, there is no such thing as an inactive church member. Amen? Amen. That's not God's design. God's design is for us to work. And can I just tell you this morning, what is the greatest work? We, we get so hung up. <laughs> we get so bad out of shape about this good work thing. You know, there's a lot of good works. And you know, Jesus talked about some of those good works. Jesus, if you can remember, talked about taking care of widows and orphans. Jesus talked about giving people a, a drink of cold water in his name, ministering to those who are indigent, right? He talked about going into prisons and ministering in prisons. There's a lot of great work out there that Jesus has called us to, to serve. But you know, the greatest work that Jesus gave us, he gave us in a commission, didn't he? When Jesus got ready to leave the planet, he didn't didn't reemphasize go into the prison. He didn't reemphasize take care of what is in orphans. He didn't reemphasize this or that. You know what Jesus reemphasized? And you know what it was on his heart? Right before he ascended, he said it. You'll be my witnesses in all the world. In Matthew 28, we love it as Baptists. Listen to what he says again. Hear it afresh and anew. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. He says, Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, what was on the heart of Jesus should be on our heart. And that is, as a church, the priority ought to be, together, we're making disciples. That's the priority. Now, in the process of doing that, yes, we're ministering to widows and orphans. Yes, we ought to be going to the prisons. Yes, we ought to be standing for injustice in our world. But let me just tell you something. If we negate the gospel, we have forgotten what our calling is all about. We have to be about the gospel. Amen? And here Jesus gives us that gospel. Go into all the world, make disciples. It's all about preaching the good news of the kingdom. The good news that there is sin, yes. You are separate from God, definitely. You have no hope, that's for sure. But let me tell you about one who does give hope. His name is Jesus. And let me tell you what he's done. He's died in your place, bearing your sin debt on the cross. See, you're separated from God. But listen, he took separation in order that you could be saved. By dying on a cross... Bearing your sins, separated from God, was buried. But praise God, on the third day, he rose again. In order you can be right with the Father. Listen, that's good news. And that is the responsibility of every one of us in this place this morning. And you and I must go and we must preach this gospel. It's a huge responsibility. It is an enormous task. And that is how, though, we change the world around us. 
Can I ask you a question? Do you want to change the world? I do. I want to change the world. Then understand this. The Great Commission, you ready for it? The Great Commission is a team sport. It's not a solo act. As we think about being a team, I want to sort of end with a different scripture. I know we started in Ephesians 2.10. I don't usually like to bounce around. You all know me. But I want you to hold your place, and I want you to flip back all the way to the Old Testament, to Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to finish with Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And I just want to give you a quick three points that you may want to write down in the margin of your Bible to encourage you about this idea of togetherness. And so let me just give that to you this morning. Number one, as we look in chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes verse 9, what we learn there is that together we accomplish more. If we want to see more people baptized, we want to see more salvations, if we want to see some more of those names on those boards back there that we've been praying for and, and asking God to give us an go- opportunity for a gospel conversation with them, if we want to see more of those names taken off and more of those entering into our baptistry, then listen, we must come together as a body of believers and work together. Notice what he says in verse 9. Two are better than one. Hallelujah. Amen. Because they have a good reward for their labor. Isn't it true that we can accomplish so much more together than we could alone? That's so true. Amen. I used to hate it when we'd get a lot of snow in New Jersey and I was the only one at the house and my dad would say, go shovel the driveway and the sidewalk. And we had to go out there and shovel out you know, after the plow has come down. Anybody ever live up north? The snow plows come and, you know, they, they plow you in. And then you got the responsibility of getting yourself out. And so there'd be a mountain of snow and we'd have to go out because the postman ran. And so we had to go out and dig out the mailbox. And then we had to do the driveway and we had to do the sidewalk. And it was a lot of work. And when my little brother got away with not doing any of that, it was a lonely task and it took a long time. But when he had to be made to go out there, went a whole lot faster working together. And by the way, it's awful funny too. I don't know why. I guess I understand a little bit better now that my kids are grown. It's awful funny that we didn't get a riding mower or a blower for the snow until after all of us kids left. I don't understand that. But anyway. But it's like, it's like football season's going on. Right? And, and we understand it's better together when we're Two of us are, are gathered because it's like a, a great quarterback, right? A great quarterback has to rely upon the rest of the team. He can't be a great quarterback if his team doesn't defend him. If the front line is weak and everybody's going through the line, he's never going to make a good throw. And it's the same thing with the church, right? If we're not together and we're not strengthening one another and encouraging one another, lifting one another up, spurring one another on, getting equipped in the church, then listen, we'll never be a great team. And we will not see God accomplish great things through us. But when we work together, listen, we accomplish so much more. I wrote this down. I found this statement by somebody. that says, every great church that you hear about is not dependent upon its pastor and staff. That is so true. You cannot be dependent upon Tim and I. You cannot be dependent upon our children's ministers to do all the work of raising your kids and giving them the gospel. You cannot be dependent upon us. We are infallible, but the reality is we're limited. We can only do so much. We need everyone to be involved. And so you and I need to understand that together we accomplish so much more 
than we would by ourselves. That's point number one. Point number two is simply this, that together we encourage each other. Do you ever need encouragement? Hello? Do you ever need encouragement? We all do, don't we? We all go through things, we need encouragement. Well, look at verse 10. He talks about this encouragement. He says, for if they fall, one will lift up his companion, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. <laughs> That's encouragement. You ever fall? Now, we may not fall into sin. We may not be talking about falling into sin, but have you ever just fell out of church? Wondering, anybody care? Anybody know me? They forgot about me? You know, have you ever just uh, in your life going through some difficult trials and temptation wonder, do my brothers and sisters know? Do they care? Are they going to walk beside me? I've fallen and I need help. And maybe there is times in life where you fall into sin. I've had people say to me, well, preacher, when I get this right in my life, I'll be back at church. Listen, church is where you need to be. Church is where you can get picked up. Amen? Church is where you get encouraged. Church is where we can help one another. This speaks to the importance of our relationship. One with another. We help each other. We help each other. But listen, not only, listen, not only that, but look how he says it in verse 11. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? You're thinking about riding to nomads. You're talking about people who live in a desert. I didn't know much about desert life until I went to Saudi Arabia. When I went to Saudi Arabia, then I learned about desert life. I learned that during the day, it's hot. And sometimes unbearably hot. And I can remember when I showed up as a security police officer, they took me out to my guard shack, and I showed up there, and, you know, it's daytime, and it was nice inside. We had an a, a air conditioner, and we had a cooler of drinks. It was pretty nice, you know. Uh, but then I began to look around at the guard shack, and I said, there's a heater in here. Why do we need a heater? It's like... 500 degrees outside. And then I had a night shift. And I was like, hmm, where am I? <laughs> I'm in a different place. You know, when you, when you go from 120 in a day and you're even down to 60 at night, you're freezing. It's a totally different world. And then you got breezes that blow. It's just amazing. It's amazing. So for this nomad, he's saying, listen, we, we need each other. We need to encourage each other. Listen, even when they're traveling together, they would huddle up to keep warm together so they could survive together. That's why we come together. And then lastly, verse 12, notice what he says about togetherness. Together, we're strong. When we're apart, we're weak. But together, we're strong. He says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him and a three cord and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Listen, we get strength in numbers. Together we can reach our community. Together we can reach level plains. Together we can reach the wiregrass region. But we have to do that together. We can't do it alone. I can't, you can't, nobody can do it alone. You say, okay, what does that look like? Well, let me just wrap up with two things. Number one, I want you to see the progression. Verse nine, he says, one becomes two. Isn't that awesome? But then in verse 12, he says, one becomes two and then two becomes three. And, and you know what the point that he's making there is? That you can continue to add that. Three should become four and four, five and five, six and six, seven. And you begin to multiply that. And when you multiply that, you become a stronger force. 
Amen? How can we do that? What does this look like in a, in a literal church physical sense? Well, this fall, towards the middle part of October, I told you a couple of weeks ago, I'll tell you again, we're going to uh, launch an initiative that I'm calling Pray and Go. And what Pray and Go is about is simply this. If we want to see people saved, then we ought to pray for their souls. Amen? We ought to care enough to pray for them at least. I mean, it's a bare minimum thing, right? And so we've developed this thing called Pray and Go. And here's what it looks like. It looks like mobilizing ourselves together as a congregation to go into the neighborhood, street by street, home by home, and praying for every home that's in Level Plains. Now, what does that look like? Because I remember a couple weeks ago I said that, and Marina went home and she said, hey, that sounds like a little craziness to me. She's like, I don't quite understand what you're talking about. So let me explain what I mean by that. What I mean by that is as we go out, we take a street, let's say two of us go on one side of the street, two on the other side of the street. When we come to a home, we're going to give you a, a door hanger that simply just says, hey, we love you, we're praying for you. And if you've got any needs in your life, we want to know because we want to pray for you and we want to encourage you. And if you have any needs that we can meet, we want to meet those needs. And basically what we're asking you to do is to take that door hanger and as you walk the street, as you're walking up to somebody's door to put that door hanger on there, is to just whisper a 20-second prayer that simply says, Lord, bless this home. Lord, bless this home with salvation if they don't know you. Lord, if they don't have a church home, Lord, would you just bless that they may be interested in our church and that we may be able to minister to them. And then just simply hang the door, hanger on the door and walk off. And maybe pray for them as you're leaving. Lord, touch this family again. Just a little 20-second prayer. You say, could it make a difference? Let me tell you. It can make a huge difference. You know where the difference can be made? First of all, it'll be made in your life as you go out because you'll be doing something tangible for the Lord. You'll be doing something tangible for the kingdom work, amen? Because there's nothing greater that we can do. Listen, nothing greater that we can do outside of giving the gospel to an individual is to pray for them. And we ought to be praying, amen? And that's something simple, that's something easy that all of us can do. But there is no way that Tim and I the student ministry, our children ministers and I, there's no way that we could go out and hit every house in Level Plains and put a door hanger on their door and pray for every, well, I guess we could. It would take us a long, long time. But listen, I don't know about you, but isn't it time that our community know we love them? Isn't it time that our community know we're praying for them? And that if they really have a genuine need in their life, we want to meet that need? Because can I tell you something? We represent the hands and feet of Christ. We represent, listen, it all goes back to Ephesians 2.10. God has saved us in order that he would create us as a poem, as a beautiful piece of art written by the Savior Jesus Christ in order that we would do good works. Amen? That he has prepared for us to do. The question is, are we going to walk in it? Are we going to do them? And if we do, we have to do it together because we cannot do it alone. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.